Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am one of your hosts, James, and with me is Joe. Good day, folks. And Chris. Hey, y'all. And today we are tackling the topic of Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And to do that, we are going to step into the podcast Multiverse and have ourselves a good old-fashioned crossover. (laughs) So just like when the JLA met the Justice League back in the day, we are um, going to be joined by the hosts of Movie Challenge Accepted. So returning guest and friend of the show, Arco Esposito is here. Hey, everybody. And uh, friend of the show, but first time on the show, is his podcast partner, Jason Allison is here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And thank you for being here. I'm glad you both are here. Yes, we are really glad you guys decided to uh, join us for this, which is a huge topic we're going to cover today. But uh, Jason, just uh, for our audience, uh, since this is your first time on the show, and anytime we have a guest on for the first time, we do like to stay on brand and talk about secret origins. Um, And I know from listening to your podcast that you have collected comics and have familiarity with comics. Uh, what is your secret origin with um, comic books and pop culture? Uh, specifically with comic books, when I was in junior high school, so I grew up in the Bronx, and I went to a junior high school in Riverdale, which is part of the Bronx that where people live, they claim they don't live in the Bronx. It's a very nice neighborhood. But <laughs> there was a comic book shop, and I swear, since Arco told me you were going to ask me this question, I tried... <laughs> finding the answer to this all over the internet. I cannot for the life of me remember the name of the comic book shop that I used to go to. It was on Broadway, north of 238th Street. It was a small little hole in the wall spot. And every, when did, when did the new books come out? Like every Tuesday? Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday back in the day, yeah. Okay, yeah. And like every, every Tuesday we used to have, I don't know if you guys uh, had did this as well, but you used to sort of make a list of the issues you wanted, right? And so they would put them aside whenever they came out. So on every Tuesday you would go in and you'd have like a file folder and you would see like whatever issues came out that week that you were into. And so we would go there, me and like three friends would walk there. It was a long walk and we'd spend... Geez, I don't know. We wouldn't leave there till like seven or eight at night until the owner would throw us out. But uh, (laughs) yeah, we we were definitely those kids that like the owner kind of liked because we spent money, but also maybe wished we spent less time, more money, less time. That's what he would have liked out of us. (laughs) But yeah, that place, uh, man, I I spent many hours. And and if anyone's listening to this and they know what store that was, I, I can't think of it. It wasn't Magnum. Magnum Comics and Cards was a place in Riverdale. And then there was another spot in Yonkers called the Dragon's Den. But uh, yeah, that, that was my spot was in the Bronx. It is long gone, but many, many great hours spent there. And did you have like, what was your favorite character or comic books at the time? I was I was a huge Spider-Man guy uh, back in the day. And oddly enough, I was also a huge Batman guy. And I don't think you can get two more different characters. Especially like Spider-Man around the time of, I think when Jim Lee was inking him, I think there were points where Todd McFarlane drew him as well. Oh, yeah. Can anyone back oh, yeah. up on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 1987 to 1990. That's right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I was big into, into those. I can't remember the writers. I'm sure if you threw the names at me, I would remember. But those, it, it was amazing Spider-Man. It was Spider-Man. I think they had three different Spider-Man titles at one point. Mm-hmm. There was Web of Spider-Man, right? Exactly. Spectacular. Yeah. Spectacular. Yeah. Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, and, and on the flip side, on the DC side, I was a, I was a huge Batman guy, and I still am. And I think as I've gotten older, I'm, I identify more with Batman. 
not as the ultra wealthy vigilante, but just <laughs> something about the dark existential nature of that character. Yeah, whatever, Jason. When he shows up on the streets, we'll know whose door we should be knocking on first based on this conversation. <laughs> and um, and if we, if it's possible to encapsulate a little bit for the audience, just also based upon your podcast, when did your love of, of film, I guess, develop? And your, you know, I guess you have a very, I always love your take on the movies and your in-depth knowledge and critique of the movies. So when did that develop for you? Jeez, I don't know when I started getting into like strange movies or, or esoteric and, and a little more non-traditional movies or non-mainstream movies, I think is probably a better way. I don't know when that happened because I used to be the biggest fan of like summer blockbusters. And my grandfather used to take me to a theater, also gone in the Bronx, used to be on Grand Concourse, uh, just south of Fordham Road. It was called Lowe's Paradise. And it was one of those 1930s majestic sort of red velour drapes from floor to ceiling. And it kind of looked like the lobby of the Radio City Music Hall, if you've ever been there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it was just such an awesome place. I remember I saw The Untouchables there with him. I saw Robocop, <laughs> Die Hard. Um, the, the animated Transformers movie, the only good Transformers movie that's ever been made, if you remember the animated <laughs> one. <laughs> that is not at all a controversial take. I think everybody will have that yes. assessment for sure. I, I good, agree with good that good to know. as well. Yeah, but then somewhere as I got older, I don't know, I just started getting into stranger and stranger stuff. And I got into David Lynch and and uh, Tarkovsky and and uh, a bunch of like foreign directors, Kurosawa. And, you know, I there's a ton I don't know. There are a lot of people that know a lot more about like esoteric foreign films, but... I just try to carve out my own little niche with that stuff. No, that's great. That's great. Well, I thank you. Thank you for giving us a little back uh, backstory on you and your secret origin. And, and anyone in the audience who this is your first episode or haven't gone back and listened, Arco has given his secret origin in a whole episode in our back catalog, as well as his expertise on X-Men. And he's joined us for a sports podcast. So if you want to get more on Arco's origin, you can go back to those episodes. But let's dive dive into it. So we got Spider-Man No Way Home. We have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. There's there's lots of places to go. And I will also say to the audience that um, Arco and Jason had did a whole episode on their take on Spider-Man No Way Home. And feel free to, um, I know in your podcast, you guys, I think, focus more on the film itself and the MCU. But you guys are free here to, to talk about comic books and what you think about it in terms of comic books. So, um, and for I listeners, guess, just in case you don't know, in case it's not clear, there are going to be a bunch of spoilers. So just yes, please. Spoilers. Thank you. Thank you. If you have not seen these movies, <laughs> put it, hit pause, watch them and come back. But we are spoiling everything and talking about mm-hmm. all things in these movies. So, Joe, I think um, I, let me let's kick off with you. What what is your thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home? Best Spider-Man movie since Spider-Man 2, in my opinion. Uh, wow. This is the third Tom Holland Spider-Man, correct? And I thought this is the first film that I've actually felt comfortable with Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And it's the first film uh, where I felt comfortable with the supporting cast. And uh, I geeked out. And I know this this movie was fan service all the way from beginning to end. But I I did geek out when, uh, not so much when Garfield showed up, but when Tobey Maguire showed up, I said, it's the real Spider-Man. And um, (laughs) I I thoroughly enjoyed this film. That's funny. uh, yeah, yeah. Now, my, uh, my, my opinion about Doctor Strange in, in the Multiverse of Madness. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe we should. No, yeah, maybe we should do both of our thoughts and opinions in both movies, and then we can kind of the rest of the conversation can be sort of I like guess going back and forth because I think this should be more of a comparison between the two movies and our obviously our thoughts on them individually. So, 
What was your so going from that review of Spider Man? What is your what are your thoughts on Doctor Strange? Well, I guess they're 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 kind of bookends. I mean, you know, one kind of feeds into the other. I mean, they, they do mention Spider Man briefly uh, after he saves America Chavez in in that restaurant, his film. But uh, I did not. Uh, I just watched it again for the second time, and this movie doesn't work for me. And it, it should again. This there's a lot of fan service there, and, and but I I think. Why it doesn't work for me is I'm just not a fan of this overblown, let's go balls to the world multiverse. I'm getting tired of it. I, 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 DC lost me years ago with their multiverse, and now Marvel is uh, is uh, you know uh, diving headlong into this, and uh, I just think it dilutes the characters, it dilutes the, it dilutes the uh, significance and the authenticity of the characters, and uh, I need less multiverse, not more. That's Interesting, Jason. On, on your podcast, this was not a movie you were challenged to see Spider Man. But um, what are what are your thoughts on Spider Man? And then you can go into your thoughts on Doctor Strange. Yeah. So, like, real quick, I'm, I should have been, and this was the whole conception of the podcast, which is unfortunately on hiatus for a number of reasons. But the whole conceit <laughs> behind the podcast of me and Arco is Arco and I are the same. We're the same person when we were kids, right? Huge, <laughs> and I think all of us were. We're comic book guys, and yeah, yeah. and we. And so when, when Iron Man came out and the MCU began this experiment that has r- run Hollywood for the last 16, 17 years, I should have been the guy that this was prime for. Like you guys, like I think a lot of us growing up from that generation. And for whatever reason, the MCU just never did it for me. And I don't know why that is. Maybe I gotten older, maybe my taste changed, right? But whatever it is, a lot of those movies didn't speak to me. And worse, I didn't have the desire to see them. And Arco challenged me and I've, I've been exposed to, you know, Endgame. He gave me the hits, you know, Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, all the good stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Endgame, Infinity War. Like those, all those emotional beats worked. And I'm like, oh man, these are great. And I didn't, I hadn't seen any of the Garfield Spider-Man. I saw all three Tobey Maguire's, hadn't seen any of the Garfield Spider-Man. I know they weren't that well received. But, like, some of these movies, these are the only, this is something that Arco and I talk about a lot, is these these movies are the only true monocultural events that we have left, right? There's no more Game of Thrones. There's Star Wars is fractured and splintered. And with streaming and with all these different avenues and different ways for people to spend their time, no one is sitting around and watching Cheers every Thursday night for for 12 seasons, right? It's... Mm -hmm. It's mm-hmm. pop culture has splintered. And so on the rare event that something comes along that touches so many people, you're like, oh, man, I got to be a part of it. And so I, we, I went and I saw Spider-Man No Way Home and I loved it. Like Joe said, a lot of it was fan service, which I have a, an uncomfortable relationship with. I, I don't think fan service is I don't think fan service does anything to push an art form forward. I think if you give fans what they want all the time you're going to stay in the same place all the time, which is kind of what's happened to Star Wars, I think. Appreciate that insight. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, really, I do. I appreciate that insight of, of you know, not not pushing the, the art form forward by, by performing fan service. I think that's great insight. Thank you. So yeah, to that end, like, I'll, I'll digress real quick here. In 2017-ish, maybe 18, I'm not sure, uh, David Lynch did a return to Twin Peaks. And it was an 18-episode miniseries on Showtime. And for those of you that haven't watched Twin Peaks, it was a huge show. It was very good for one season. It was eh, for two seasons. But there's a character on there named Dale Cooper, played by Kyle MacLachlan, a beloved character. Everyone loved him. For 
18 episodes or 17 of the 18 episodes, David Lynch refused to give the viewers the, the, the Dale Cooper character. And he kind of held him in this sort of uh, other world. And this character didn't appear until the final, the final half of the, of the next to last episode. And he literally withheld the very thing that people wanted the most out of that series. And by withholding it, he forced us to engage with an entirely new vision of what that show could be. Now, with Spider-Man, I think this is the best way of bringing in, of sort of paying fan service, but also pushing the envelope forward. Because, like, everything works, right? With, with Maguire and Garfield. Like, even my, my, my wife hadn't seen... She's seen all the Garfield... Uh, she saw all the Maguire ones, but not the Garfield ones. And she was into it. I was into it. It was a great time. I love that movie. I don't think I'll see it again, but I loved it when I saw it. And then I think Doctor Strange is the exact opposite. I think Doctor yeah, Strange yeah. doesn't work on any level. I, I agree. I completely agree. I agree. I agree also. I, I, because, and, and you can get into, and we can get into, I don't know how deep you want to get into the actual, the, the machinations. I'm fascinated by how the MCU and how Kevin Feige actually produce these movies and how they write them and how they direct them. But when you bring someone like Sam Raimi in and then you only let him be Sam Raimi for maybe 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, you're just left with another generic movie that's shot on a soundstage in Atlanta where people's eye lines aren't matching up and it feels a little cold to the touch. No, no, I appreciate that insight. I mean, I'll, I'll save my comments for both of them in a few moments, but no, Jason, that was, that was great. I appreciate that. And I, I do, we could, that's a whole other sidebar conversation we have where we've talked about this podcast and you and Arco have talked about it, but fan service definitely is problematic, especially for universes that we keep wanting to see something new. I mean, I think fan service is like, the biggest back and forth in the Star Wars universe aside, you know, in terms of like, what do they do? They keep revisiting the Skywalkers and not moving the story forward. So again, like Chris said, I appreciate you going, going there. Um, and maybe we'll revisit during this conversation. Uh, Arco, what was your take on, on these two movies? <clears throat> well, you know that I love the, the Spider-Man. I, it was, it was my favorite Marvel movie probably since um, Infinity War and Endgame. Um, and, you know, James, uh, you remember, if you remember, you asked me a long time ago if I had seen um, Spider-Man Far From Home, which came out a month or so after Endgame. And I don't know if you remember, but I told you I was absolutely burned out at, on, on Marvel. Really, I was. And and if they had not made another Marvel movie after that, I would have been perfectly happy. I had no interest in Marvel, honestly, after um, after Endgame. And I, I'd never even seen that second Spider-Man movie in its entirety. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, the with the pandemic and everything, and they put out WandaVision, all that stuff, that I really got back into it. Because, I don't know, I guess there was something missing. But I thought that the way that they were writing those shows, it, it was it was new, it was, uh, it was fresh. And uh, there was a kind of a different take that we had not yet seen. Fast forward to Doctor Strange, <laughs> and the second Doctor Strange, and they went backwards in such a short amount of time. I know that these movies were kind of filmed at the same time and one was supposed to come out before the other. And that kind of got messed up a little bit with the pandemic. But I, I, I mean, it's almost like they didn't realize what they were doing on either film because these, these films are supposed to be a little bit of a bookend and they don't match up in any way whatsoever. The, their tones are totally different. It, it, Jason's right. It's like 100% CGI. 
in this particular film, I can say that I don't think that there were very many actors that were into the film. Benedict Cumberbatch, in my opinion, nailed this <laughs> performance in, and he's done great in the past with with this character. Uh, but you know, the only person I really think that did f fantastic in this movie was Elizabeth Olsen. She loves playing this character; you can tell that. Um, but otherwise, I was very disappointed in this film, and. At that time, I said that three out of the last four Marvel films since uh, things reopened, which uh, would have been Eternals, Spider-Man, excuse me, two out of the last three, and then uh, Doctor Strange were not that great. Uh, I hate to say it, but Thor is Love and Thunder is now makes it three out of four. And I'm really has to worry about where the MCU is going uh, forward after all this. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I haven't seen, has anyone seen Thor here? No, I guess not. Probably not. I have not. Yeah. So, Starco. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess we, I mean, that's a larger conversation about the future of the MCU, but I do know the pandemic affected the filming of Dr. Strange. And, but again, I'll get, get to my comments in a few moments, but Chris, why don't, why don't you weigh in with Spider-Man and uh, Dr. Strange? Um, I didn't like either of them. I really, wow. yeah. Um, I really didn't like Spider-Man. There were, there were parts of it that I liked. I liked that we got to wrap up, um, wrap up what happened with those other two Spider-Men. I liked that they took different paths. Um, so I thought that the the resolution of their stories, as well as what happened to them after we lost track of them, um, was really interesting. So so I, I enjoyed that. I thought I, I enjoyed the acting. I, I enjoyed the different characters. Um, a lot of the jokes. What I sort of liked about Spider-Man jokes uh, in the first two movies um, were that they 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 sort of overstayed their welcome by like a hair of a second and that somehow made it funnier like there's there's a point in comedy where a thing stops being funny but if you if you wait past that point just like a hair and then cut it off that awkwardness makes it even funnier uh i didn't feel that way with spider-man i felt like uh, i felt like most of those jokes sort of overstayed their welcome uh even though i enjoyed seeing the some of the relationship between the different spider-man i think my biggest my biggest problem that i had with it was the note two things one was this idea that um dr strange decides not to be the adult i know he can be reckless but even for him like for me it's just too easy for him to like stop what he's doing and be like that this isn't going to work um so that like for me the the crux of the movie the crux of the problem is is flawed in a way that just and again i don't, I don't want to say that it's it's bad writing or anything like that because i i can't say that definitively sometimes i think you can't Excuse me. And sometimes you can't. Uh, in this case, I didn't think it was bad writing. It just didn't. It just didn't do it for me. I was not convinced that this is a move Doctor Strange makes, given what we know about him, given what we know about the multiverse. Chris, um, yeah. To, to what you're saying there, you're yeah. talking about when he when he essentially says, "You kids figure this out." I'm going to go take a nap, right? And he yeah. goes upstairs for like an hour of the movie. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. And and even that, yes, but also even before that, when he decides to sort of cast the spell in the first place and things are clearly getting screwed up because Parker just keeps talking. It's a bit of a callback to, um, it's a bit of a callback to, to the happy birthday storyline where um, the mindless ones are attacking New York. Dr. Strange is fighting Dormammu because uh, the Avengers and the Fantastic Four have all teamed up and, and accidentally released Dormammu. And so Dr. Strange goes ahead to try and cast a spell. Spider-Man tries to help, gets involved, and screws up the, the dynamic of the spell. So I, I understand it's kind of a callback to that. It just, it, in the movie, it didn't work for me the way that it did in the comic. And so I just I thought that was weird. And then also the notion of taking 
everything away from him. And this is this is totally a personal situation, which is why I don't say it's a bad movie. I say I don't like the movie. Um, on a very, very personal level, I hate that, that when I was growing up, you know, a lot of these heroes had to do it themselves, go it alone, all that stuff. And that was stuff that I took away from a lot of these. I wasn't I wasn't like you, Arco. I wasn't a big X-Men fan. Right. Um, I didn't really start reading JLA till later. So a lot of those, it's funny that you mentioned earlier, Jason, that your favorite heroes were Batman and Spider-Man because those were actually my favorite heroes too growing up. And they are very, very different from one another, but they both aligned with me for different reasons. Spider-Man was the guy that I thought I could be, but Batman was the guy I wanted to be. Um, yeah, because I, I yeah. The, yeah, I was the geek who got got pushed around and he gets his powers by accident. And in general, he's like the best guy. And that is a hundred percent what I like thought of myself. Like I'm a good guy. I deserve better than this. Like I, you know, so I could be Spider-Man. I could never be Batman, but I wanted to be Batman. So these like loner heroes who do it on their own, that was for a long time. That's, that's what I thought good and tough guys did. So, but the thing is Peter Parker was never alone, even in the times when, like, you know, the old Peter Parker luck is dumping on him. Um, you know, he still he still has MJ or he has Aunt May or for a while there he had Uncle Ben. Like, he always has somebody. And so to take all of it away from him at the end of the movie feels like just dumping on this, this you know, 20-year-old kid. And it, it's, it's sort of sending a message that, you know, to be the hero, you know, you got to give up all the things and walk the path alone. And... Again, totally just my interpretation, but um, but yeah, I just I just didn't like it. I didn't like what they did to him. So that's that's me personally and my own personal investment with the character. No, Chris, that was a good point. I mean, because when we talked about Spider Man, I mean, I'll go into like for for Spider Man, No Way Home, and for Doctor Strange, I I liked both of the movies. I didn't I didn't love both of the movies. Since we're kind of I'm trailing off of what Chris just said and going to Spider Man, uh, we talked about this, and I, I agree with you, Chris. I don't. I didn't, you know, again, my personal thing, I agree with you. I don't like that they left Spider-Man completely alone in the world. Because as you said, he's in the comics. He's always had somebody there. If he didn't have MJ, he had Aunt May. If he didn't have Aunt May, he had MJ or Gwen Stacy or even even the Black Cat he could go to and talk to. Or right. or he could or he could go to one of his he could go to Matt Murdock. He had somebody. Here he he has nobody, and that that did that did bother me a little bit considering that we've kind of built up the beginning of the thing is Dr. Strange does the spell because he feels bad for Peter for going through all this stuff. And at the end, Peter has less than he started out with, with the spell. Um, he's got, got yeah. nothing. <laughs> so that, that seemed a little harsh to me. I just wanted to add that, you know, it's true that Spider-Man always had someone, but the circumstances of Peter Parker being Spider-Man always pushed away the ones he loved the most or loved him the most. So he was, he was always a man on an island unto himself, even though he had others surrounding him. And there were times when he couldn't reach out to them for, uh, for obvious reasons. He was, you know, being tortured by one of his enemies or he was, uh, you know, fighting to save his life. And he couldn't get, he couldn't get, couldn't, couldn't get out of this, uh, uh, this terrible trap to save Aunt May, to get the medicine that would save Aunt May. And I'm thinking of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 33. Arco knows that book. I do. He's, right? under, he's underwater the whole underwater, time. Right, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's true. Spidey, uh, yeah, Spidey, he's Spidey, right? I've been reading since 1967. He's Spidey. Um, yeah, he's, he's had people in his life, but because he's Spider-Man, it's, it's, there, there's a classic scene um, at the end of one of the Ditko issues where Spider-Man is, the specter of Spider-Man is pushing Peter and Betty Brant apart. Again, I'm sure Alcor knows that, that book, too. So, I um, do. 
Yeah, I mean, that's constantly there. I, I didn't have that much of a problem with Spider-Man being alone at the end of the film because that's the fate of being Spider-Man. That's, that's, what, uh, you know, that's what the world, or that's what karma or whatever you want to call it has in store for him. Uh, it's, that's what Spider-Man is, He's, or his, his life is. Well, to add on to that, my, um, my daughter, when we went to go see this uh, film in Florida in December, uh, also uh, her cousin came along, and I asked her what she thought of it, since she wasn't really a Spider-Man uh, fan or even a Marvel fan. She goes, I loved it, but I, I was so sad at the end that he was, you know, that he, he was by himself, and basically yeah, he, didn't, he didn't really win. I uh, kind of lost, and I said, "Well, that's the, Spider the reason. That's Spider-Man. He can mm -hmm. never truly be happy because that's that's his lot in life." Uh, you know, I tried to explain to her that you know, with the great power comes great, great responsibility. But mm -hmm. I, I will say it was something different. I don't think it's karma as much as he just chooses to live that life that way. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of along the lines of what Arco was saying. I don't think it's karma. I don't think it's his fate. I think my thing is that in the in, even in those instances where he is, he's stuck somewhere, you know, Joe, you mentioned that he's stuck under this machine trying to get to Aunt May. Mm -hmm. He's like, he is physically alone, but also the only reason that he, the medicine, the isotope matters is because Kirk Connors, who he saved and is now his friend, uh, is doing the work for him. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's those moments that like, he's not, sometimes even when we feel alone, we're not actually alone. Peter is actually alone now at the end of this. He is, he is alone because because people don't know who he is. It's like they know who Spider Man is. They don't know who Peter Parker is. I don't know. It was it was it was something that I I personally didn't didn't like, and and that's why I say like I don't think it's a bad movie. I just didn't like it. Um, but sorry, James, I know you were no no. no it's actually going to Jason. What's your your obviously you said a comic book reader? What was your what's your thoughts on it from a comic perspective and then a movie perspective on that that scene? Man, if you ask me to recall individual comic book storylines as I sit here now, I'd have a tough time for whatever reason. The only the the only storyline that I that really still pops in my memory, and this is so strange, is the character of Nuke from Daredevil. You oh, guys remember? Great story line. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the, listen, the, the boy again storyline. That's amazing. Yeah. If you, I, for whatever reason, that one always stayed with me the whole like, give me a red. Like the, but if you, but regards like Spider Man storylines from the comics, I don't, I would not be able, I'm not the academic enough to be able to cite individual issue numbers. I'm trying to remember if I had a vague feeling that Spider-Man was meant to be alone. And like what Chris was saying, that makes me wonder if the fact that I was an only child and Bruce Wayne is essentially alone, if I was drawn to characters who I might not have known it at the time, kind of reflected where I was in life. And I was kind of a loner and I had friends, but like I, I, I didn't have siblings and I went home. I was the only kid in my house growing up. But I don't know if that ending of the movie bothered me for that reason like the the bigger problem i have with the mcu and and again this is not not to take the conversation in another direction is a movie like spider-man no way home i had a really good time and i left the theater and i haven't thought about it since and that's not necessarily the case with endgame or infinity war or like even Winter Soldier, like some of those movies, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened in that scene or, or Black Panther. But I feel like what Arco was saying is the, the recent movies, ever since they ended phase three, right. they don't stay with you. Like Spider-Man was great and I had a fun time and I laughed and, and I, I liked seeing Garfield and, and Toby, but it, 
didn't resonate with me emotionally uh, in the way that maybe seeing some of the, uh, you know, when Robert Downey died and it, it just didn't, it didn't grab me in that way. And I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly there because how do you really top? I mean, and maybe they don't want to top, but I would imagine that Marvel and Kevin Feige are trying to find the way uh, to uh, a way back to those emotions that people had watching those scenes in those films to, to, to watch I'm sorry, to watch Spider-Man die in uh, in Tony Stark's arms at the end of Infinity War, to mm. watch Tony Stark die at the end of Endgame. I mean, I had my daughter <laughs> cry, sobbing next to me because oh. she, could, cause she couldn't take all the emotions of swinging the last half hour of the movie. But you know what? I heard grown men crying <laughs> in that movie theater. Oh, uh, you know, I was back. So, I mean, I, I, I tell you what, there isn't, I, I you know, maybe that's why I was burned out. Because you were so – it was an emotional high that I don't think that they have been able to get back. And I'm not sure they are going to get back because I, I see where they're going with the storylines. And I'm not sure that they are impactful enough that uh, people are going to say, wow, these are just uh, amazing like uh, Phase 3, Phase 2 movies were. I mean, I don't want to derail our conversation into the, whether or not we're the, <laughs> to an MCU what's going forward thing. But I will say, um, you can see where they're going because I can't see where they're going. And let me let me say, Secret me, Wars. Yeah. I mean, it. it I, guess, but who, I guess. Okay, but sorry, who, go, who go that ahead. isn't an avid listener of a podcast like this knows that they're going to Secret Wars by this time in mm-hmm. previous in previous uh, phases? You've already seen Josh Brolin as Thanos. You knew there was something lurking out there that they that your heroes would have to face. It was building towards something. I don't like 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 James said. I don't see that now. I think though, Jason, uh, you, the reason why you don't see that is because uh, the storyline that we're talking about came out in 2015, and there were uh, instances in the film, uh, Doctor Strange film, that called back to it specifically the um, when they say multiverses colliding uh, called um, uh, incursions uh, incursions there you go thank you right. which is what happened in the comics which which ended up being civil uh, uh, excuse me secret wars so I think that they're doing that and they've already shown one of the big bads going forward just not as much as I'd like and uh, who know, I, that Kang yeah, in Loki. Yeah, Kang the Conqueror. Yeah, yeah Kang. Where, 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 yeah. In Loki. Okay. All right. All right. So that's that's my other issue is I, yeah, exactly. I don't want to I don't want to watch every Disney TV right. show. Like the, and that was part of the issue with uh Doctor Strange is I needed Arco to explain to me why Wanda was where she was emotionally. Right. And you can get right. that from the movie in Doctor Strange, but it doesn't resonate the same way for me who hasn't seen WandaVision versus Arco, who has. And, 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 well, and oh, sorry. Yeah. Go sorry. ahead, go no, I was just going to say, like I, like I said, I liked I liked both movies. I will say, and Jason, you, this point is perfect. I watched it with Karen, who Karen has gone to see most of these movies with me, but she doesn't retain the amount of complex storytelling in all, all the plot details. So she loved the movie, but I also stopped every five minutes and had to give her a breakdown of what was happening in Doctor Strange, which... For I guess for uh, well Jason aside for everyone else in this room we're in to watch it anyway but for a person like Jason I don't know if that's good storytelling or bad storytelling um, and I will say the biggest grievance just to give out you know 
you know, as much as I liked what they did with Doctor Strange, I wish they had done different things. Like that scene where Black Bolt kills the alternate Doctor Strange, no reference is given in that movie who the heck Black Bolt is, mm. what the hell his power is, and really what the hell, why he can kill Doctor Strange. And I had to like give Karen a brief rundown. Like this is uh, Black Bolt. This is his power. This is who he is. And this is why he can do it. You don't want to watch, Jason, you don't want to watch every TV show? Totally with you. Totally makes sense to me. Like, a number of these shows, and I've mentioned it, I think, on this podcast before, I've only watched them because of this podcast and because I know we're going to talk about it. Um, not because I think they're necessarily going to be bad, but because I'm just not interested and I just don't want to make the time for them. I think this is where we start getting into, you know, this is this feels a lot more like comics than the MCU ever did, which is there are a million different titles. And now if you don't keep up with these these shattering events in all the different comics, you end up a little bit lost why some of the compilations, you know, some of the graphic novels you run into, like it's issue 76 of Captain Marvel, and then it's issues 13 through 47 of, you know, Captain America, and then and standalone, but also you need to read Ironheart, or it doesn't make sense. And then you need to alternate all three Spider-Man titles page by page. Like, it, it I think this is much more like comics than, than it ever was. And like you said, the result is if you don't keep up with everything, then you're going to be lost. And that to me is, I won't say bad storytelling i will say that it is storytelling that is much more reminiscent of what comic books are and how they read in general specific to dc and marvel the two you know publishers that are that are big enough to 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 wield that kind of storytelling and 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 yeah that's that's what i think that's what i think and i do have thoughts about dr strange but I'll, i'll mute myself for a moment here yeah, well, like Chris, I mean, I guess we could also argue whether or not this is like, I think Kevin Feige's goal, and it's a miracle trick that he got people to consume movies and TV like you do comic books, and that's either for good or for ill, but for the average person, you know, like, you know, we're not the average person, but Jason, for a person like Jason, and even you, Chris, who doesn't want to buy anything, that that is a problem in terms of understanding the next story yep. that you choose to drop in on. You can't just drop in on any movie. Just like it's hard to drop in on a comic. Um, just to, to, that it's a dangerous road that the MCU is traversing right now. Because if you're going to expect your audience, who most of them don't read comic books, by the way, because if they did, the best-selling comic books wouldn't be selling at fifty or 60,000 copies uh, a month like Spider-Man. They'd be selling at 2 or 3 million copies a month because people would see the films they go out and buy the comic. They're not doing that. So if you're expecting that from your audience then you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall. So when you, when you make a movie like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and you would need some type of um, Stanley type of, uh, of uh, voiceover telling you what happened in the previous Spider-Man movie, and, and, uh, because you don't know if your audience watched WandaVision and Loki. Uh, it's, um, it's a height of hubris to even think that, I, I, I think. So I, I think they... This phase four is uh, floundering right now, and they, they, they need to uh, turn things around. Um, yeah, I wish, like I said, Art, I'm glad. I mean, Secret Wars is definitely reasonable. I'm not sure every storyline they put out so far is is connected to Secret Wars, but it seems like the most plausible thing. Um, you know, the cynical take on what they're doing is that Kevin Feige and the Disney overlords are creating reasons for people to remain Disney plus subscribers, right? Mm. Like they have, they own this property. They Mm. need when, and if you, again, this is a little too inside baseball, but I'm, I follow some of the, uh, some newsletters and some news sites about, you know, the 
the business machinations of Hollywood. And there's been a retrenchment with regards to streaming and the viability and the economic viability. And Netflix has lost so much of its market capitalization in, the, in recent months. And so in order to please shareholders, because Disney is a corporation that is, in the end, it has a board and it has shareholders, they need to keep viewers... And they need to keep subscribers paying for Disney+. And so if you slip a major plot point for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness into eight or ten episodes of WandaVision, there's going to be people that pay just for that. Like, I'm I'm, I'm a subscriber to Paramount+, Plus because I like Taylor Sheridan's movies, like uh, his, his shows like Yellowstone in 1883. But there's nothing else on there that I'm watching it for. And I think there's a cynical view that says, like, hey, these, these are smart people making this this content and i think they have to serve a lot of masters and it's like like you're spot on. yeah like like what what chris was saying it's like at, at a certain point what when does this become homework versus enjoyment like part of the yeah. thing with comic books is that there were so many of them that you had to pick and choose because a you're a kid and you only have a certain amount of money and you can't buy every comic you want and b there's only so many hours in the day no, I agree. I mean, in which case, yeah, homework to do. Yeah, <laughs> right. Kids. Well, yeah. That, I guess back in the day when we had our pull list, if it became homework, you dropped the book. In which case, and and the MCU at this point is not giving you an option to drop a book. Like you can drop a book back when you're collecting comic books, and it nece- didn't necessarily blow apart the other issues you were collecting. But the MCU doesn't hasn't given you that that off ramp yet. I guess there's there's no way that you can't watch one of their shows and it's going to come back to or be confusing for you if you get to the big whatever next Avenger event is, if it's Secret Wars or whatever, you will probably have to watch everything because Moon Knight will show up and in some form, Miss Marvel will and everything else. So be like, unlike comic books, the MCU is not giving you an off-ramp where you can drop a series and it will be okay. And I don't think it's cynical to say that um, because, you know, as they're in to make a profit. You know, Disney, Disney's mm-hmm. not there not to make a profit. They are definitely there to make a profit. Take my money. Yeah, it take take my money, which mm-hmm. you know, for most for you know, for good or for ill, they they will get my money because I'm a person who, again, wa- wants to enjoy these things and will will see these things when they come out. So you know, I'm I'm the person who can on this podcast and every other podcast we do nitpick about them, but I'm still going to watch them. But this you know, talk about Disney Plus and we brought up a few times Wandavision is probably a good place to sort of wind into some more thoughts about Doctor Strange and Chris. I know you have thoughts, so you know, Jason, I know you didn't see it, but we you know, Wandavision and. Uh, was I think very a very good way for the MCU to revive itself after Endgame and because of the pandemic. I think Arco, we spoke about this that right. being having WandaVision be the re-entry point into the MCU after Endgame's wrap up was probably a good way because it was very unique storytelling. It was a different format. It was a very weird sort of story. Wanda goes through this whole journey. And again, like I said, I like Doctor Strange, but I don't like how necessarily it was written. And then they put Wanda back into the in, into Doctor Strange as the pickup, and she's sort of regressed, if not undone her story from WandaVision. So, uh, Chris, why don't you share some of your thoughts on, on Doctor Strange from there? Sure. Um, so I didn't want to watch Doctor Strange. I didn't really care much about it. I wasn't really looking forward to it. I, to be clear, I like the character. I just sort of didn't care about the implications of it. So I, I, I just I wasn't that interested in it. Um, so it took me a while to get around to it. And I only got around to it because we because we were doing the podcast. I was coming into it not really wanting to like it. I can't entirely tell you why I didn't want to like it other than I wasn't that interested. I don't feel that way about other things. I didn't want to dislike Moon Knight when I watched it. I just wasn't that interested. And I thought, oh, 
they did a good job. I just don't, I just don't care. With Doctor Strange, for some reason, I, I came in sort of going like, I, I, I'm not going to like this. I actually liked almost, almost everything about it, except the crux of the matter, which was Wanda. I hated what they did with Wanda. Um, I thought it, it walked back so much of the great work that she did in WandaVision, which I should note, I had no interest in watching. I had no interest in watching WandaVision. Like you, Arco, I was pretty burned out. And also WandaVision just held no interest for me right. because those were two characters that I was just never that interested in. I really liked WandaVision. It really pulled me in. Um, and I thought they did some new, cool, fun stuff. there, really interesting stuff. And there was range. But I thought this movie really walked it back. Um, and I think that the, the biggest problem that I had with it, again, sort of carrying my own, my own outside contextual stuff into it was, I think we just, we have enough stories of, we have enough Medea stories. We have enough stories of the, the mother who goes so mad that she decides, you know, in Medea, she, she kills her child. Uh, but in this, it's, she's goes so mad over her, the loss of her, her fake children uh, that she grieves for them inside. She is going to 100% part the multiverse to get them back. I just, I just, I don't like the trope. I think it's old. I think it's tired. Um, I think they could have done just as much, if not more, with just having Sinister Strange. Put, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch on both sides of the camera, on both sides of the conflict. Make him good, make him bad. You have one Doctor Strange who absolutely could not handle the notion of of rejection and not being with uh, Christine Palmer. And then you have the other Doctor Strange who is sort of resigned to it and sort of comes and makes his peace with with what happened, even though it turns out he does love her and he misses her. So it was just this weird thing where I'm like, I thought they could have just as easily replaced Wanda with the evil Doctor Strange, and that would have made the movie a hundred times better. Um, in again, in my view, instead of trotting out the tr- the tired old trope of of you know Wanda losing her mind over this, and I'm I'm confident that she's not dead based on the way that she died, mm-hmm. uh, apparently died. And I know there's that's supposed to be that redeeming moment at the end, but I also the redemption doesn't that redemption moment doesn't really ring true with me. It feels very much like I still haven't seen um. Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, or whatever the crap it's called. But I know what happens it's in crap. it. Yeah, that's, and that's what I heard. And so I, I read about it. Yeah. Um, but this this moment where Wanda suddenly decides, oh, now I get it. Now I get the horror that I've committed really rings to me like, you know, Superman at Death's doorstep saying something about Martha and Batman going, why did you say that name? And like, are we best friends now? Because our moms are both named Martha. It just, it really struck me as that same moment. So there was a lot that I that I actually did enjoy about this wonky movie, but the crux of it, I just didn't like. No, that, that's fair. Like I guess I, I wish Wanda, yeah, I wish Wanda was written differently. I like your idea about um, it being two Doctor Stranges. I was also talking to our, you know, friend of the show, Jack, offline and talking about it. And he, his idea would have been he wished it was, that the Wanda in our MCU proper universe was the hero and maybe it was a Wanda from an alternate dimension where she went dark and the two Wandas could have been the, uh, I guess the antagonist that Dr. Strange would have to fix, which I kind of like that. It was, um, so, was, you, so I, I like where you're going, but Arco and, and Jason, you have thoughts. Arco, um, what were your thoughts? Um, real fast. I, I understand Chris's point about the trope being um, tired and overplayed. However, they were pulling a lot of that of what Wanda is in the movies from the House of M and her storyline with her kids through the uh, late 80s and early 90s. So 
I mean, you, you, you call it a, a trope, a tire trope now, but when they did it in the comics, it was actually very new. And the mm-hmm. fact that she kind of lost her mind over it back in like 1980, 89, it was kind of new. So uh, you know, I'm not sure if it works. I don't know if it works the same way as it being tired, but I mean, I agree with everything else you said, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's I think that's totally fair, Arco. And and what you're saying makes sense. It's a callback that that I was only partially aware of. I know we've spoken about House of M before. Uh, you know, it, it makes sense to me, and that's why I say like, you know, it's a, it's a more of a personal. Uh, thing, but James and I—it's funny because James and I were talking about Ms. Marvel off air, and we talked. Uh, no, no, we were talking about Shang Chi, and we talked about Wong, and it's like they've really figured out how to make Wana Wong more than just the you know racist caricature he used to be when he started. But I'm sorry, Jason, I see that your hand is up too. So no, I was just thinking here as you, as I was listening to you guys because I was also not sure how I should feel about the you know angry mother going to destroy the world to save her children trope, and. I didn't, what's interesting is you had a problem with that, and that's the reason why you didn't like the movie. I didn't have a problem with that. I had a problem with everything else surrounding the movie, because I feel like, <laughs> yeah. like right. there's at, 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 at base level, remember when they told us that this was going to be a horror movie? Yes. You guys right. remember that? Yeah. 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 And, then, and then the original director stepped away, and they brought Raimi in, and Raimi hadn't done a movie in a while, and... Like I'm into Raimi's stuff. Like I, Dark Man, uh, the Evil Dead series, the Army of Darkness. Like I love that stuff. And I'm like, oh man, they're gonna let Raimi be Raimi, and then they don't. And then it's not really a horror movie. And I feel like the broader take on this is kind of similar to what they've done with Star Wars a couple times, which is remember when Rogue One was going to be like the the hard, dark sort of. Um, version of the the brutal grimy version of that world and it kind of was and i think rogue one's a great movie uh i actually love it but yes love it it, it was the same thing it, it was the same thing with obi-wan like mandalorian is its own thing and that, that was brilliant and i think that was a great job but then obi-wan became kind of the mandalorian redux where oh there's a kid and we have to save the kid and the kid's in trouble and that's a trope in storytelling and i i'm at a point now where i wonder if these things are what they are right like the stories are never going to necessarily sure. be some version of this that I personally want. Like I, you know, I think Matt Reeves hit it out of the park with the Batman in terms of going dark and ultra grim. But I think these other properties are just too valuable and maybe they're just never going to give me the, the, the out of control Bruce Campbell, uh, Sam Raimi take on, on Doctor Strange. And I'm not even sure I would want to see Benedict Cumberbatch in that movie. This I love Cumberbatch, man. I didn't like him at all in this. I th- I thought he was he was waiting to cash that check. Mm-hmm. I agree. And he's a fine actor, man. He's excellent. Possible that because this is a Disney film, that the, the horror film we were promised we couldn't get because it's a Disney film. And it well, has to appeal to a, 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 a family audience. I mean, we don't get any horror until we get Doctor Strange zombie at the end, right? And he's being chased by the uh, CW Speed Force race, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, oh, look at that! I've seen that before. So I think I, it's, uh, I think it's one hundred percent that they uh, uh, cut out the horror that was intended for this film because it was a Disney movie, and that's the reason why the uh, original director uh, bowed out. Uh huh. Yeah, it makes, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I was I watched and because I I love behind the scenes stuff. I love how things are made. So I watched the you know Marvel assembled behind the scenes of Doctor Strange, 
I'm, I'm quite surprised actually at how frank some of the stuff is because they had the writer whose name escapes me right now. So I, I apologize for not knowing his name, but he took over the script writing for this movie because apparently because of COVID and everything, the script for this and the timeline for this was all screwy. And he first said, he's like, originally I had three weeks to turn this script around for shooting time. And then he got, then COVID hit and then he had three months to turn the script around. So they were going to go on a three-week script, but then they had the, the option of going on a three-month script. So I'm, I'm very curious at what the writing revelation, apparently in the three months that he had because of COVID pushing back the shoot, he trashed the entire script and this is the script that he came up with. And from what I understand also, Sam Raimi is the one who made, wanted, wanted to be the villain. She was originally not going to be the villain in the piece. So, mm. but just to go show you that, you know, and Jason, I think you brought this up originally in the start of this, this podcast, like, Marvel is a machine that has a clock, and and in fact, one you know um, Elizabeth Olsen left the shooting of WandaVision and immediately went to the set of Doctor Strange. So she had like no time even to really see the script for this. So this is all to say like there are a lot of holes in Doctor Strange, and it seemed like there were there were some of those holes are because they just they don't allow enough time for a story to develop because now it's a, a machine that's making Marvel movies. Yeah, cranking them out. You but know. you know what's funny is that and and. It, number one, listen, I say this with utmost respect for anyone who makes a movie or, or to, to produce any sort of physical piece or, or pop culture or art, quote unquote, because it's hard. It's real hard. And I respect everyone that works in that industry. And if it was easy, every movie would be great. And that's just not the case, right? Like there's good movies and there's bad movies. But it seems that whatever control or whatever influence the, the Feige led MCU and, and the executives ha- have, have sort of imposed on this is not producing the results it once did. And I heard a podcast where Michael Waldron, he was the screenwriter for uh, multiverse of madness. He was on a podcast called script notes and it's about screenwriting. And he said that when they were writing, I think he was also the screenwriter for WandaVision. It was either WandaVision or Loki. I'm not sure which, but for one of the shows, it was Loki? Okay. Yes, it was Loki. For one of those shows, he executives from Marvel, not writers, but executives from Marvel were in the writer's room. And so the writers are in there and they're, they're throwing ideas out and they're spitting stuff onto the whiteboard. And executives from Marvel are saying, no, nah, don't do that. Okay, maybe you can do that. No, you can't do that. And that I just can't see that as being a conductor. A, 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 a process that is conducive to creating the best story. I just, I just can't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's no I mean, in the writer's room. Right. It's um, I mean, from what I understand, every project, obviously every project goes through Kevin Feige and then Kevin Feige has individual lieutenants who oversee each project. Like there's, there's somebody on each project and they know the whole story and they tell enough of the story to the people working on it, but everything goes through Feige and, yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of directors, you know, come and go because I think that, you know, they always use the the Hollywood tagline. We had creative differences, but we wish them the best on the project. But, um, you know, I've seen we've seen a bunch of directors come and go from these projects because they that's not how they want to how they want to create their art or how they want to do it. But and also, Jason, to your point, though, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, my my whole thing when we have conversations on this podcast and is that um I, I, no one I think sets out to make a bad movie or a bad project. It's really hard to make something that's good. The MCU has, has done it for what, 23 movies pretty flawlessly. I mean, there were Mm -hmm. ebbs and flows in the movies, but I think at this point, you know, um, 
I don't think Marvel's done, but I think, you know, they've had a tremendous track record and it's it's hard to make something good, at least good consistently for a long time. I don't know if anyone has a perfect record, in turn, at least especially in the pop culture realm of like what we're talking about here, if anyone has a perfect record of making stuff or at least has Marvel's record, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, I think it's it's a hard road. They they they've done an amazing job, but yeah, it's it's going to be you know challenging. And at some point, you know, not everything. And Chris, I was talking to you about this, and I was talking to Jack about this offline too. I think Marvel's also in a position now where they've had so much success, but now they're in a position where they've sort of um, proven themselves that they're trying to make things for everyone, which is always um, a dangerous proposition. And I think some of the projects they're making are just not meant to be for everyone. Not to not to like say like, you know, be so blunt about it, but they're not making things for everyone. Like Miss Marvel, I enjoyed it. Chris loved it. I think Chris said you said it's your favorite series. But Miss Marvel's not for everybody. It is I did not I did not enjoy it. But you know what's you saying that they're that these things can't be for for everyone. But oddly enough, like you said, for most of the MCU's existence, they have been the only thing that is for everyone. Like I said earlier, they are the only part of the monoculture that is that is still left. And it kind of, it kind of makes me wonder, like, there was a time that Hollywood would pump out 30 Westerns a year, you know, mm-hmm. the 40s, yeah. the 50s, maybe even yeah. into the 60s a little bit. The West, you don't get a, you get a Western every five years now. It may, maybe less, the 310 to Yuma, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, it, you know, trends come and go. And like there, you know, we used to get a lot of gangster movies. The gangster film is is a thing of the past. And I wonder if there's just a natural cycle to these things. And you know, every every story doesn't need to be told through the lens of a superhero. Like She Hulk is, from what I gather, She Hulk is going to be like a courtroom dramedy. And that that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you if you want to do like a court, like an an updated Ally McBeal, like give us an updated Ally McBeal. It doesn't have to be Ally McBeal, who's also Mark Ruffalo's sister. Like, I I don't know. Like, what you said maybe is true. Like, they're trying to cover so many bases that they're not excelling in covering any of their bases. Yeah, I mean, there's like a where this could go into a whole different like opening of things like that. But you know, they're trying to. I think they. At least my opinion, I have nothing to base this on except, you know, just conversation and some things on the internet. But I think, you know, the first phase, the first couple phases of the MCU established all your traditional characters. And now they have the option of, of introducing more, I guess, diverse characters, I should say, more female leads, more people from diverse backgrounds and 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 characters who which, you know, I think part of the thing and we talked this goes back to fan service. They have to start expanding their non-legacy characters. Like, you know, Evans is gone. He's not coming back. Robert Downey Jr. is gone. As, as far as we know, it's not coming back. And to get those emotional points, it relied on, on you following those two guys to have those points. And with them gone, you, you know, Hemsworth is there and Cumberbatch is there. And Tom Holland, as far as we know, is there. But everyone else is sort of a new roster of people you have to attach to. And I don't, you know, we went through so much stuff with that first roster of people that I don't know if you'll, it's going to take time to get attachment to these, these people and anchor them the same way, especially since the stories are, are, are being told in a different way. J- uh, James, to your point that they are coming out with um, different characters, different backgrounds, and because the uh, legacy characters are gone, if what they're doing is uh, thought of as not working, is it because... Is, is then the narrative going to be that, well, 
you know, obviously people, there are people out there that just aren't ready for a Muslim superhero or a homosexual superhero or a black Captain America. Now, I'm not saying that's what's being said. I'm saying I could see in today's world that that would be a reason why all of a sudden the profits are going down, that there is too much of uh, too much in this world that is against those particular types of characters. Is that a possibility? I mean, I hope not. I mean, because that was my that was my big take. Like, uh, we never talked about it really on the show, but I like the movies, the the Eternals. I like the Eternals. I know it didn't do. It's of of the movies that you've talked about, Arco. It probably is the the least strong one of, of right. the movies that were released in the theaters. But right. I hope the lesson from that isn't that. I think people. I think those characters and the diversity in the characters. I think is a great thing, and I think I think there is an audience for it. And maybe the real thing is the writing. I don't know if the stories they were telling in I some, agree. Of, some yeah, of these good. movies is strong enough, but I think the characters are great. Like I said, Miss Marvel, I think was was well well written. Um, Chris would probably agree with Chris agrees with me on that. I think, and um, I do. But but it's also meant for younger. I mean, it's meant for everybody because Chris and I like it. But I think they were also gearing it towards a younger audience too. Mm-hmm. Um, to which case, you know, I don't know. I think it's the writing, and but Hollywood is Hollywood. I don't know if Disney Disney's a little bit more open minded. Let's say so. I hope the executives aren't taking from it the fact that we have female characters and characters of diverse diverse backgrounds and. Um, sexual orientations and people don't want to see that. I hope they, they more get to like, well, maybe we have to slow down the production and get some more writing. But so. they have in the past. They've absolutely done that in the past. And we know that from, you know, there was a lot of, there was a great three piece article around, um, around Shang-Chi when the movie was coming out and it was written about the creation of the character and, um, and how to make the character, uh, you know, less of a racist trope and more of an actual three dimensional character. Um, as they were as they were adapting him for the movie, and um, you know the talk around that was was um, was in the creation of the character was this notion that you you can't have you can't have uh, an Asian American lead character because he won't he won't sell right that's that's why I'm sorry I can't remember was it Gunsmoke what was the no what am I thinking of Kung Fu Kung Fu yeah Kung Fu right yeah. David Carradine you know David Carradine. Um, you know, it's 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 that's that's how you end up with those situations. So we do know that's that's the message that's been taken away, and we know that's the the uphill battle that any artist of color and a lot of female artists have to have to fight against. Um, you know, looking back, I when I first saw it, I liked the Wonder Woman movie, and then uh, I watched it a second time, and I started having issues with it, uh, and and those issues remain. But you know, there were still headlines that were like, you know, can can Wonder Woman carry her own movie? And it's like. For, for years now, for years and years and years, you know, Wonder Woman has been one of the the, the trinity, one of the, the big three in, in DC Comics, uh, you know, between Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, um, you know, leading every every charge. It's, you know, it's those three. Um, so can she carry her own movie? Yeah, I mean, female characters can carry their own movie. It's not whether or not they're female. It's the same, you know, BIPOC characters do. Um, so uh, do they back off of this? I don't know, but I, I do know that when, for any problems that people might have with the force awakens, you know, a black stormtrooper, uh, that's a really shitty problem to have with a movie. And it tells way more about that, that person, uh, than it does about, you know, the, the notion of a black stormtrooper and the people who are making it. So, um, you know, even though force awakens is not really that good in my opinion, and it's really just a retelling of new hope you know, that's the problem you've got with it, that then that, that again, I think that's problematic. So I think it's a mixed bag. I hope Marvel doesn't back off of these stories. 
Um, but 100%, that might be the, you know, the message they take away from it. I'm, I'm hoping it isn't. You know, I think that for me to commit and say that is the message they're taking away, I think that would be cynical. But I'd also say that the history of, of Hollywood and artistic expression in this country uh, does back up that that is often a message that, that is taken away. I don't disagree with the history of the Hollywood has shown. I do. I mean, with Marvel, at least to to the point of characters who I think every character will probably get a second shot because they are committed to continuity. So if the the Eternals have to show up again somewhere because they're committed to it now. So hopefully second time around, they'll have better writing and, a, and maybe a more in, a better introduction. And I'm not just talking about the Eternals, any of the movies that maybe flounder in certain storytelling elements. Hopefully those characters will get a chance to reappear in a way that makes them more appealing to people who didn't like them. But it, to Chris's point, if your problem is a black stormtrooper or a black Captain America, I'm not sure that there are bigger issues there. Yeah. I wonder if, because again, the writers like the, I, I forget who wrote, I think Ryan Coogler co-wrote um, black Panther and black Panther is a great movie. It's a very, I, I thought it was very good. I didn't think it was great, but black Panther is a very good movie because you have an, a, a, a great story that transcends. It is of a, an experience and it features almost exclusively black characters and black mm -hmm. actors, but the, their experience transcends the, the black experience, right? And it becomes a human experience. And when whomever you have, telling that story, be it a 16 year old Muslim girl in New Jersey and Ms. Marvel, which I didn't see, but like, that's what I know of it. If that story is well told, that story should resonate with everyone. And I would hope that there are, I mean, I listen, I'm, I've been on this planet 46 years. I know there are people that aren't watching stuff because there's a black stormtrooper or there's a black um, Jedi hunter in Obi-Wan. And it's, it's, that's a sad reality, but if the writing is, is, is up there and that experience can teach people something about what it is to be human beyond beyond a scale of of just um, diversity. Like so much of the Eternals, the run up to the Eternals centered around this is an important movie because it is diverse, and that might be true. But I feel like that becomes a crutch for making a quality movie, and you do a disservice if you're just going to take actors that don't get enough screen time historically in Hollywood and you're just going to say we're giving you this role and it's going to be a diverse movie you're doing them a disservice if you then don't give them the best possible movie to be in if you're not giving them the best writing and you're not giving um uh I forget the director's name uh Arco help me out for what Nomadland uh for Eternals so uh, um Chloe Zhao Chloe's out. If you're not giving Chloe Zhao all the resources she needs to make the best possible movie, you're doing a disservice to Chloe Zhao and all the other Chloe Zhao's that are going to come after her because they're going to say, oh, look, that movie didn't do well. It wasn't well received. And yes, it made a, a crap ton of money, but it was kind of, I think, lukewarm reviews. And I think it's not, it's not enough for Hollywood to just pat themselves on the back and say, we made a diverse movie. No, no, no. You got to make a diverse movie that is a good movie. And you got to give these these writers and these directors like Ryan Coogler, who is one of my favorite directors working today. You got to give them all the resources they can to make their vision and to, to show the people 
that don't want to see these characters or would rather not see these characters, that those experiences are human experiences. And it transcends just where you are. If you're from somewhere where you don't see a lot of black people or gay people or whomever, or where I come from, where I grew up in New York and you saw everyone all the time. And I, I think that's the sadness is that when these executives sort of just sort of, um, they short shift some of these, these projects and they don't give these, these projects the, the time or, or the, the breathing room or the space or the resources they deserve. And then, you know, you, you end up backpedaling culturally. Oh, that was, that's very well said, Jason. Thank, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I just want, yeah. I just want to say the same thing. I completely agree with Jason just said, and I think Chris nailed it before too, when he, when he, when he referenced, um, force awakens and you know, it, it, people don't want to see a, a black stormtrooper. So here we have a, a film that has diverse characters in it, but, what is what is a Force Awakens, but a retelling of A New Hope? So we have diversity in storytelling, which feeds into what just what Jason just said too. So you you know you, it's uh, it's it's only paying half the bill. It's not it's not going it's not going the extra mile. Tell new stories with the new characters, and and people will come. You know, build it, and it will come. Um, uh, that's I think it's I, I don't know if it's that simple, but to me it seems to be that simple. If you just keep rehashing things, you you're going to lose people. And uh, period. And I, I just wanted to, if, if it's okay, I just wanted to bring up, uh, if we can get back to Spider-Man for a minute. I wanted, I, I remember this uh, listening to um, the movie Challenge Accepted, and and I think Arco said that there was one, there was two scenes in Spider-Man: The Way Home that he broke down. And I'm thinking, I, I, if I remember correctly, and I, and I want to, I want to match it up because that's the scene I broke down, and that's when Aunt May, um, uh, you know, uh, before she passes on after that battle. Uh, Spider-Man between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, she utters those famous lines, right, Arco? Right, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that got to you. Is that, am I, I correct in, in recording that correctly? Uh, that did get to me. I there were a few other there were a few other moments, but uh, you know, anytime uh, a character like that that meant a lot to uh, uh, Tom Holland, uh, Spider-Man, it, it 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 definitely hit me hard. Because I was waiting for three films for, the, for those lines to be uttered. I knew we were going to get it from Uncle Ben because. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but did Uncle Ben even exist in the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe? I, I'm not sure if they even mentioned his name once. I don't think so. I think there was. A, I think Peter had a uh, a suitcase in Far From Home that had uh, the initials B, uh, uh, B B R Ben Riley. That 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 might be uh, you know, that might be it. That might be the extent of Uncle Ben. So when when um, Aunt May uh, uttered those lines, I just you know. I mean, you know, but going back I, to it, I, I, I lost it. <laughs> and, and well, it's funny you say you lost it because uh, not only being a, a, an emotional gut punch, but uh, and I know Jason makes fun of me when uh, I tell him these stories <laughs> like this, but but that was one of those moments on opening weekend, actually opening night of the of of that kind of film where when things like that are are said or big. Uh, big reveals happen nowadays people are sitting up whooping and hollering and clapping and that was one of those moments where even though this person's dying saying these words you know everybody is clapping so it was it was definitely yeah. uh it was definitely surreal and i'm not sure that jason would have enjoyed that but i i did i didn't see the film in the theater i saw it on uh, on disney plus so uh I think I, I think if I had been sitting there and people were whooping whooping it up at that point, I might have had a problem with that too. But <laughs> uh, you know, that's not that's not a moment to whoop it up, I don't think. But it's a moment that every Spider Man fan wanted to see and hear, I think. 
Uh, I could be wrong about that. Moment. I, I, with what Arco's saying, like that's actually something that would resonate with me, even though I'm like, I don't want people like necessarily like whooping or whatever, but like, but it's a shared moment. That's one of the special yeah. about yes. one that's game. A great I'm way to put it, Chris. Shared moment. Yes. It's, it's sports. You know, I'm so glad yeah. that I was able to see Endgame in a theater with other people. Um, I didn't, I didn't need that for every movie, but I did need that for Endgame. So I think yeah. sharing that that moment with Aunt May with other people, other Spider-Man fans in the theater. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say like for a lot of the Marvel movies at this point, you know, especially, well, I'm always looking for moments. It's, is, is really what I'm looking for. Like give me something in the movie that gives me a moment that recaptures something I felt in the comic books or feel for the character. Um, and for the most part, I, I get that at some point, I feel like for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I, I loved when he jumps off the balcony and puts the cloak of levitation on and then goes down to the goes down to street level to fight, you know, was it Gargantuos, I think is the Yeah, is the, Gargantos. Gargantos. So Isn't that, that was, Shumagareth felt really awkward. It is really Shumagareth, but they don't it have is, the, but they, they don't have the licensing from <laughs> the Lovecraft uh, and Frank Bruna. Yeah, but the, the Lovecraftian uh, Foundation or Society or whatever, the rights you'd have to pay for that name, they didn't want to pay. So, uh, oh, James, yeah. I'll let you finish, but I just ha- I have an in, in podcast meal culpa to make. I just realized I made a boo boo okay. uh, about Uncle Ben. So, when, when, please continue. I'm, I'm sorry. I no, no, I'm saying I'm just looking for moments and just, uh, yeah. Uh, so, if, if a movie gives me some moments, then I'm, I'm also happy. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't like to see better, tighter writing, but I'm also, also happy. I mean, being in the audience when you know Captain America lifts Molyneux for the first time was amazing. I mean, yeah. that's probably the best moment in the MCU as a whole in my in my book because um, it's something I didn't really care to see. I didn't even know I wanted to see, but when it happened, it was it was amazing that that it happened. Yes, it was. Yep. Um, but Joe, I'll leave you. I'll give you a chance to um, to give your mea culpa, and then uh, well, you know, here, here I am waiting three Spider-Man movies to see a reference to, to Uncle Ben, and I get the guy's name wrong, Ben Parker. No, Ben. I called him Ben Riley instead of Ben Parker. So the suitcase, I think the suitcase that Peter had when he was getting ready to take his trip to uh, to uh, Italy uh, said uh, that would have BP on it, not BR. So I mean, Riley was Aunt May's uh, maiden name, correct? Uh, is that correct, uh, Arco? Um, I refuse to talk about anything that has to do with the Clone Saga. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. Hey, I don't blame you, man. I mean, that, that Clone Saga almost destroyed Marvel Comics, right? That sure was did. Over that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I got Uncle Ben's last name wrong, so I, I wanted to make sure that I corrected myself. Uh, that's, I do many times. I, no, no, no problem, Joe. In a real, real-time correction is always yeah, good. Jason, before uh, we'll we'll just uh, I'll get to you in one second. Uh, Chris, I know you you have to jump in a moment. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before you jump? No, I mean I think that's I I, I like the things we've been covering here. I I appreciate that. Um, you know, we're able to. This is the kind of conversation that I that I that I appreciate about Mint and um and thank you to Arco and Jason for for being a part of it. And of course J- James and, and Joe as always. But but being able to dissect things we like or don't like. And we can talk about these things without being overly negative, uh, you know, being able to have a conversation about it. Um, because I, I think you're right, Jason. Nobody sets out to make a, a bad movie. Um, and, and I think Arco and Joe, I think we've both, the three of us have talked about this, I think, in a sports episode too, where, you know, you don't have players who go out on the field to, to have a, intentionally have a bad season. Um, you know, so I think it's it's worth looking through that, that lens and... Um, and so I like being able to talk about some of these things without it becoming a, 
a knockdown drag out, which which is also that's the thing I used to do when I was younger when it came to characters like Batman. Um, I'm I'm relieved that I can have those kinds of conversations without it uh, without it becoming a knockdown drag out now. So just really really grateful for for everybody's everybody's insight because it's given me a lot to chew over and uh, chew on. And um and I kind of honestly I kind of want to go back and rewatch both of these films through the lenses that that y'all have provided and see whether I like Doctor Strange less than I thought I did outside of the Wanda stuff. See what the if it's still the trope that's bothering me. Um, based on the insight, Arco and Jason, that you, you both have offered. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's where I'm at. So, yo, thanks, y'all. Appreciate you. You're welcome. No, thank you, Chris. Thank you, as always, for being for being here. And um, and uh, we will talk with you. He'll be back on our next episode. But thank you, Chris. Um, Jason, you want you had a point you wanted to make? Uh, not a point, actually. I had a question. Oh, and sure. You you brought up. I, I, I want to ask you guys how how impactful this is. You brought up the importance of moments. Right, like we have certain indelible moments in mm. film in our respective film histories that matter, like you know Hans Gruber falling off Nakatomi Plaza or the 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 train station shootout and Untouchables, whatever it might be. Right, yeah. so I wonder how how important these moments are and whether or not Disney slash MCU slash the the creators of these huge franchise pieces of entertainment, whether they know that they can get away, and I'm not saying that this is you specifically, but I've noticed that in certain aspects of these movies and these shows, and, and it was a thing with like that Ghostbusters reboot afterlife or whatever it was, if just the mere appearance of a character or a callback or a reference, a self-referential moment to the story's own history, a sort of meta-commentary on itself. I wonder if those moments alone are enough to keep people coming back. Like, do do do, do fans just want to see Cap lift Molinier? Do they just want to see, um, you know, Avengers assemble? Like, or does the story getting there resonate as much because i'll be honest i have no idea what happened in dr strange if you ask me what the plot was other than wanda wants to get her fake kids from another universe i have no clue i don't know what happened so i wonder if these are really just a collection of moments and if they devise an effective enough moment if we'll just keep coming back i will i'll say that jason some of the moments are only moments because of like the going through all the movies like seeing captain america lift molnir was was a big moment because we see saw him try in the past and he couldn't do it we learn that you know captain america as squeaky clean as he thinks is not really that because he lied to tony and so there was like a whole progression to get to that moment and same thing with avengers assemble he never uttered that word and phrase until that moment throughout the entire mcu so it was like waiting so those moments probably wouldn't have been as big if they hadn't subtly consciously or unconsciously trying to build towards them so that's what made it impactful for me but i will say also to your other point though when they made the first avengers movie there were definitely key scenes in the battle that marvel kevin feige or executive said we want to see these movements we want we want to see these moments we want to see iron man shoot his beams into captain america's shield and they blast off and do this and we want they were like select moments in that scene that they took from the video games that were popular from the comics and that had to be included to make those movement moments. So I don't know if that answers your question, um, but some moments I think would not, for me personally, won't pay off unless the story writes them. But for other moviegoers, if it's a callback to a video game or a comic book panel that, that triggered them, then yeah, they probably get a lot of nostalgia, good grace from that. 
that's my opinion. Arco and I Joe. Think the, I think yeah. the story moments will pay off if you know if, if you're leading up to it in these in these in these movies, uh, as you said, James. If if you're doing the work, if you if you're laying the groundwork, but there are also moments, and we mentioned this earlier in the podcast, that are just fan service moments. And I think they, you know, there's part of your audience are the comic book geeks like like we are, and we'll notice these things. Oh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of um, the first Spider-Man movie with the with the Vulture, right? When uh, Peter, when the entire uh, warehouse falls on top of Peter, and he has to lift it off. That's a call back to Amazing Spider-Man 33, right, Arco? Right, it yeah, is. You know, I got that, and I went, "Ooh, okay, cool!" But I wonder how many just MCU fans knew that. But so these moments will pay off, I think, to different different fans or different uh, stages of fandom, I guess. But uh, if they work in, if they if they, if they're a gang to the story, then fine. But if they just stick out like a sore thumb, then then no, then it's just fan service. So for me, I, I think that. Uh, my time on the podcast with Jason has sort of uh, not ruined me, but definitely changed a lot of the things that I have uh, noticed about the way I watch movies. Um, prior to uh, Endgame, I would say that I was looking forward to every single moment that I could remember in the comics being on the screen. All right, uh-huh. and and I, you know, uh, when he said Avengers Assemble, I was not expecting that, so that was something huge when he picked up the hammer again wasn't expecting it so that was something big um i went into guardians of the galaxy knowing that thanos was going to be in it and i knew he was only going to be in it for about a minute and that's all i cared about the fact mm-hmm. that the movie the movie was so good was yeah. actually a bonus for me so uh for me it was uh, all about the moments it was all about the storylines that i grew up with maybe that's why i don't care anymore because i think that they've pretty much hit everything that i would i was interested in They've hit all the beats you wanted to see. Yeah, I mean that could exactly. be true too. I mean they're moving they're moving more into the modern day Marvel, which you admittedly said on a previous yeah. podcast, Arco. You haven't uh, read most of the modern day Marvel. Nope, nope not since um, Civil War. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm interested to see the new Thor movie. Side, I would I would see it anyway, but I really as and Chris is not here to say, but you know the Gore the God Butcher storyline, which is more modern, and the James was, Foster. It was great. I did read that, James. I'm sorry, and I I will say that the book was that the books were amazing. The way that they wrote it, there was there was drama and humor in it, and it worked perfectly. And I'm sorry that the movie just did not. All right. Well, I'll have to. I'll have to we'll have to. I'll have to see when I see it. I, it's, it's hard for me to like to comment. Um, you know, I like to always I see it. things I before it. I fully comment on it. And um, but I will, I, Joe. I have a mea culpa. I will say that after previously we had a previous show where I talked about maybe the the strength of or the problems with multiverse of madness was because they didn't not didn't know how to write Doctor Strange. And I will say like I actually didn't have a problem with the way Doctor Strange was written in this movie. I thought um, I I still wish it was a Doctor Strange movie and Ooh, not yes. a Wanda movie. Wanda could have had her own movie. I feel like Doctor Doctor Strange at this point seems to be one of the characters they're building the next two or three phases on, and um, he deserves to not be the the crux of the MCU, but be his own character. And I don't know if he's going to get to be that much. Much like I think he gets short shrift in the Marvel universe currently and for a while because people don't know how to write him, and um, he gets lumped into ensemble pieces. And uh, I I like the writing in this of him, but I wish it was just his movie and his movie alone is uh, probably my, my preference in terms of, like I said, I like the movie, but I didn't like the way they, they wrote it per se. I would agree um, with that. He's just, I mean, he's a very powerful character. He's one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. It's kind of like the Superman syndrome. How do you write Superman, right? 
Well, the, well this goes, I mean, this Sorry. goes back to something we've talked about a couple times on this podcast, and Joe, we've talked about this in other podcasts. Is like, well, if you don't know what to do with the character, then wait until you know what to do with the character. The character yeah. Like, you can shelve a character. No one wants to shelve anything. Yeah, you're talking about like how how to write for these different characters. I've noticed in the movies, in some of the MCU movies, and not, maybe not in some of them, there seems to be a sameness, and it's all born out of Robert Downey Jr. And I think in Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. developed Tony Stark into that snarky, sarcastic, biting mm. sort of sense of humor. And I feel like they realized, oh man, people reacted to this because it's sort of, it was a sense of comedy of the moment or it, it made people laugh. It was reflective of maybe our tastes. And over time, I feel like these movies, the ones that I have seen, all kind of have that very self-referential, jokey winky sort of sensibility to them. And my understanding, like I love Taika Waititi's work, but my understanding is uh, the two Thor movies, Ragnarok and, and Love and Thunder, are really, really lean into this sense of we're all in on this joke. And I feel like all the characters are, to an extent, I'm generalizing, but many of the main characters kind of became versions of Tony Stark, of that jokey sort of... Hollywood action movie, kill a guy and or they don't kill anyone, but they kill aliens and then make a joke sort of thing. Like very a very Schwarzenegger Stallone sort of eighties approach to to character. Yeah, so maybe that's not really that new. Maybe that's I, mean, I don't I know. Would... I'm just saying I feel like the characters have a sameness to an extent. Jason, would, would would you be would, would the, could we be entering a a camp phase here? Because what you describe sounds awfully like camp when the characters. And even the, the creators of the film are are in on the joke, and they're, and they're passing it along to the to the audience. I can think of Batman sixty six, right? Adam West, you know. So uh, is that where we're headed? I mean, that's think? I don't know. That seems to be what what YTD is doing, but that's YTD's sort of his sensibility. If you watch what we do in the shadows, like that's just like who his sense of humor. But I, I don't know. I'm not going to see Love and Thunder. I doubt highly, but. It seems to be that that's the approach that they're taking, and it was the same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like the the the, the Starman, Star uh, yeah, yeah. what's his the character's name? Star Lord. Star Lord, yeah. But what's what's his human name? Oh, Chris Pratt. Oh, Chris Pratt, yeah. Chris Pratt. No, not not the, the there isn't oh. there, the the character has a name, right? Oh, Peter Quill. Peter. Thank Quill. you. Yeah, the Peter Quill character. <laughs> yeah. The Peter Quill character is kind of that same thing, like very jokey. Like I feel like yeah. There's there's a lack of distinction, uh, and and Chadwick Boseman brought distinction to to the Black Panther character, um, mm-hmm. but of course, unfortunately, you lose him now. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I don't know if there's if that's just me sort of seeing what I want to see, or if that's something other people feel. I mean, it's not. It's I wouldn't say it's like not a valid point. I mean, I would Tony. You know, Doctor Strange. His personality is more of like a button down Tony Stark, but in the same sort of. Doctor Strange definitely referential is referential of himself and kind of knows he's you know can be quippy and stuff like that. It's like different and 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 um, Peter Quill sort of like of a the more wilder version of like Doctor Strange and Tony Stark. So I, I would see like similarities between those three. I mean, I think you know Captain America sets himself apart personality wise. I think you know Spider Man sets himself personality wise. But you know there is definitely I, I see through lines through some of these characters where they they take that jokey quippiness that. I'm in on the joke with you audience type of thing. And they definitely sprinkle it in through a bunch of their characters. So I think that's a valid point. 
again, uh, it, it sort of relies on the fact that you've got to have to have actors that are good enough to, even though the characters might have the same tone and sameness, they can sort of overcome what on the page might look like similarities and stuff. Isn't it amazing how important, and this is what you, you don't realize until you lose Chadwick Boseman and Robert Downey and Chris Evans, <laughs> is so much of this is dependent upon an actor bringing this character to life. Or like you said, yes. if it was just a matter of the story and, and the Spider-Man character, quote-unquote, on the page, you know, comic books would be would, would rival the, the, the biggest media on the planet, and they don't. And so you need, the average person needs someone like Downey or Bozeman or um, who else is, even Brolin as Thanos, you need someone to personify that character and to make that character relatable to the average person. And it's tough to find like being a movie star is tough man actor acting is hard yeah yeah especially i mean obviously the i think the mtu worked so well also is because the actors as previous you know previously superhero movies was something you did and sometimes you got you know typecast whereas now these actors are for the most part invested in their characters so they they cared enough to bring their normal acting talent that they would do in a serious drama to an MCU movie. And I think to your point, Jason, that's what gave them the distinction for so long. And now maybe as we've talked about here, the writing isn't as strong as we it could be. So while they still have the same, some of the same actors and they're still hiring great actors to do newer parts, if the writing's not strong enough, there's, there's not, the actor has to work extra hard and it might just not be enough to overcome the script. And I think that's why sure. Spider-Man worked, worked better for me because Holland and Zendaya are like legit movie stars, right? Like they're mm-hmm. they they have that presence, that old school sort of you can't look away from them presence, and they embody those characters, and they draw the eye, and they keep you invested in the story. And I feel like you might not get that from some other character. Like I I did not see uh, not Ms. Marvel. Who is the Brie Larson character? Sorry, oh, Captain. it's Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Thank you. Like mm-hmm. my understanding, and it was the same thing. Like what kind of what uh, what what Chris was saying earlier about Doctor Strange for the needs of the story, kind of just left the Spider-Man movie for half the movie because you could have used his power to solve this story problem in a different way. So what do you do? You just sort of get him off the page. And they did the same thing with Captain Marvel in what is it? Either Endgame or Infinity War, where you realize, oh, she's the most powerful character in the in the universe. So we have to send her off to solve all these other problems off camera in order for the story to go forward. But my original point was that, like, my understanding is that a lot of the issues people had with Captain Marvel was that Brie Larson might not have matched that, her skills, like her skills and that character might not have been a perfect match. And so now she's shoehorned into this world. She lacked what you would call a personality. Yeah, I agree with that, yes. Yeah. You realize that you're you're really looking for those next set of stars, whomever they might be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they have to choose very carefully. I mean, I think like as Chris Chris had lukewarm feelings about about it, but um, Moon Knight was great, I think. But also, Oscar Isaac's got to act his act his ass off. Like he played mm-hmm. two characters and two completely different characters, and he was yeah, invested, yeah. and he was he did he did. And he's and as we said in the podcast about Moon Knight, he's rarely Moon Knight in Moon Knight. Like it's mostly like he's in the costume a few times, but mostly he's playing two different characters in the same body. And 
I think it's an acting, it's an acting class into how diverse he, he could be in making two people separate. So yeah, they, they, I think they have to be really careful with their, their casting choices too, going forward. I mean, I, I, aside from, you know, Brie Larson aside, I mean, I think most of their recent choices and their character picks have, have been, have been good. Here's hoping the writing and the acting and the casting continues to, to be good, if not better going forward. I guess the next big step would be to see who they cast as the X-Men, right? Oh yeah, Fantastic Four. Yes, and and they've been threatening, honestly, for like the last two years to bring them forward somehow, some way. They've teased a bunch of different ways in WandaVision when they brought back uh, Quicksilver that mm-hmm. this is how this is how the X Men were going to come in, and you're you, you know obviously they gave you uh, the Illuminati and Charles Xavier as part of it, but uh, now they're again threatening to do it again with uh, the little reveal at the end of uh, Miss Marvel. So, um, I, you know, how they're going to do it, I have no idea. But that's probably the next thing that we're waiting for. And if they don't do it correctly, it's over. Yeah. But well, isn't Miss Marvel a mutant now? Is, was it revealed? They said, I mean, listen, they, they, they've not said the word mutant yet. They were not allowed to up until they oh, bought Fox. They, they, they weren't even allowed to. But um, they, uh, they, they said mutation. Ah, so that's okay. so, and, and and when they did that, you had the 1992 car, uh, X Men cartoon theme song in the background. Oh, so, like when uh, when Professor X came on stage at the Illuminati yes, scene. Exactly. So when when, she, when when he said mutation, you heard the little stinger. So that's yeah. Okay, but, I get it. But now, you know, that makes me wonder. They, so they keep teasing this, right? And we're, I don't know, what, four films and, and three series, Hawkeye, Loki, yeah. Ms. Marvel. Like, and they haven't even cast these roles. So even if they, if they cast everyone today and they announced the entirety of the X-Men universe, that movie is not coming out for, what, two years? Three? Well, yeah. well I mean, they, they've, they've put out that they're making a Fantastic Four movie. I mean, they put that little uh, teaser at the end of uh, one of the videos that they put out last summer. So to me, I thought the damn thing was in production. Uh, you know, obviously I was wrong, but uh, I would not be surprised if at the end of uh, phase four, uh, they actually bring them out somehow, some way in a scene, not in the movie, not in a huge scene, but you'll see them who they are and who the actors are going to be. Well, we'll probably find out in a week, possibly with Comic-Con is what. Right. Yeah, is. that'd be nice. That'd be nice. That, that they're going to announce what phase four, phase four is about, and they may or may not be revealing the cast of FF because, I mean, they have been working on FF, but John Watts left the project. Another, yeah, yeah. Th- we have differences of opinion. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. So um, the drama continues. Yeah, <laughs> he just gave him the biggest hit they've had of the pandemic, perhaps of all time, with Spider-Man: No Way Home, and then he had to leave because of differences of opinion. So um, even their most celebrated directors sometimes leave. So who knows where what's going on? Hey, it goes all the way back to Donald in this in the cell kinds, right? For forty plus 40, 45 years ago, which yeah, uh, absolutely Superman yeah. one and Superman two. Yep. Yeah, nothing new. Nothing new. It always the same. Well, I think we maybe uh, bring this uh, podcast in for a multiversal landing. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've gone some. We've gone all over the multiverse and beyond we with have. our topics today. So I, I, I love everything we've touched upon. But uh, as we as we wrap up, does um, I just go through? Does anyone have any final thoughts of, of things they would we want that we haven't touched upon or wanted to reiterate before we wrap things up? Um, you know what? Can I uh, make a suggestion for the uh, listeners out there of uh, something that uh, they should be watching? Um, sure. I'm a big fan of The Boys. 
on Amazon oh, Prime. Okay. And uh, if you don't know anything about the boys, uh, I, uh, James, I think I may have spoken to you about it, or and Jason also. But it is a total deconstruction of everything that uh, every superhero fan knows about comics and it, how they pull it off is amazing. I highly recommend it. They only have six to eight episodes per season and they go back and they go by so fast. So, uh, Joe, James, uh, Jason, if you haven't seen it yet, catch the boys. Very good. Okay. And, I, and I was going to say, I, I'm after 56 years of reading comic books and seeing, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not saying I'm jaded, but, uh, I'm looking for entertainment elsewhere. And that's why I wish Jason, they did make more than one, uh, uh more, more than one Western every five years because I love Westerns. But, um, I found something on Amazon uh, Prime uh, last week, and I watched the first three episodes. The uh, Terminal List, and it's, oh, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's pretty good actually. It's uh, Chris Pratt, and it's I guess it's part uh, thriller and procedural, and I'm enjoying it. It's a little um, it's a heavy at times and quite graphic at times also, but uh, I would recommend that if you're looking for something different. Cool. cool. Yeah, sounds good, Joe. Uh, Jason, you have any um, final thoughts or recommendations? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go way off into the weeds here and if you're <laughs> if you're in the mood to watch a five episode TV show about a whaling ship in 1859 leaving out of England featuring Colin Farrell as a drunk sadistic almost ritualistic murderer um the North Water is on AMC Plus right now. Ooh. And if you're a fan of Better Call Saul and you've got AMC Plus, uh, this is based on the 2016 novel by Ian McGuire. And it is a bunch of awful men on a whaling ship. And let me tell you, it, it's not for the faint of heart. But okay, if, if, you, if you're into something I'm different, this is different. <laughs> I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great, Jason. And um, for my recommendations, I'm sometimes late on the boat and uh, catching up on my pop culture references, but uh, I recommend John Wick. This <laughs> trilogy. I recently, yes. I recently, I've uh, seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I've uh, yeah. recently got into it. Thanks to, to Arco and, and Jason's podcast and also Arco separately talking to him offline. So um, I'm, I'm almost done with the third movie. I've been, I'm enjoying it. It's, it's, it's definitely worth its place in pop culture. So check that out. Yeah. And um, to go a little off our normal pop culture recommendations, if you haven't watched it, only Murders in the Building just started its second season. Yeah. And I love Steve Martin. I love Martin Short. Selena Gomez is funny. The first season was amazing. The second season's off to a good start. So if you like murder mysteries and comedy, it's, um, it's definitely worth a watch. Okay. With that, I want to say thank you to the listening audience. But most especially, I want to thank all the guests and hosts here. So um, uh, thank you, Arco. Thank you, Jason, for being on this podcast. And then hopefully we can have you both on again at some point. Thank you. I would love that. Yeah, oh, appreciate it. Great treat, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. And and um, I know you guys are taking a little break in your podcast, but um, I would tell viewers, please, they have a they have a great. Um, how many? Do you guys know how many episodes you currently you did so far? Uh, twenty four. So they have twenty four episodes up. Um, they have episodes. They have their own solo Spider Man No Way Home episode. They have an End Game mm-hmm. episode. A uh, episode on Black Panther. So please uh, go check all, out those episodes and. Check out Jason's suggestions too, because they are worth watching those movies as well. If you're if you're here for the pop culture, stay and become a cinemaphile also. Yeah. Um, and uh, Joe, thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure as always, James. And Chris had to jump early, but thank you, Chris, as always, uh, for being here. And uh, listening audience, also, if you have your own thoughts and opinions about the stuff we said today, we, we went over all our thoughts about 
those two movies, but MCU in general, please leave them in the comments for the show or in comments that relate to other postings we've done. And if you want to email us, secretoriginsmc at gmail.com. We thank you for listening and we will talk to you next time.